In meeting with Saroj a few weeks ago to catch up, little did I know that she would uncover this fantastic story of generosity, effort, adventure, authenticity, and truly giving something back. Saroj's father-in-law wanted to turn some of Saroj's ideas of a holistic approach to developing village life into a practical undertaking. Her in-laws made that happen, and with the help of Welthungerhilfe, a German NGO, and other partner NGOs such as CWS, they have created a fantastic model of possibilities. Yet a village is not a model. It is teeming with life, youth, ideas, excitement, and visions for what could be. And so Saraj promised to ask Philippe, the project leader, if he would agree to doing a podcast with me to talk about this amazing journey. I am very happy to say that both Saraj and Philippe were able to join me in talking about this project in a podcast stretched over two episodes. I'm extremely grateful for their time, and of course, I'm excited to hear how this wonderful adventure develops. Turn a mic clocking out. Enjoy. I'm joined here today by two people. So for this episode, it's going to be three and a mic. Um, but thank you, Saroj, and thank you, Philippe, for joining me. How are you both? Very good. Fine, thank, thank you. you. Very good, very good. Just for people listening so that they can uh, get a bit of a feel of how international the nature of this particular episode is. Saroj and I are both in Berlin and Philip is in? Delhi, New Delhi. Wonderful, fantastic. Living here since eight, eight years. <laughs> wow, okay, great. Okay, so I mean, lots of background there that we can get into as well a bit later. Um, but first of all, so this project that we are focusing on today, Saroj told me about when we met uh, some weeks ago. Um, Saroj, would you like to tell us what the project is about? Yes, I can start how my story in this project started in the first um, because the project is is older than that for sure, or, or the thought at least. I have been thinking about NGOs and writing about them since a, since a few years and um, um, in in the comfort of my couch, <laughs> I was coming up with like, oh, what could be better? Because I, I I grew up in India and poverty is something that I I saw every day, and um, thinking like, okay, there's so many NGOs available. Why is there not so much impact um, as it should have been? There's more than 10 million NGOs registered unregistered. Um, so ideally, there should have been a bigger impact. And I was thinking and researching and started writing about how a holistic approach could have probably, according to me, of course, um, uh, be better. So every NGO, an example would be if one NGO um, is going to support an education um, project in one of the village, creates a school but doesn't take care of actual problem in the village who is hygiene, for example, then children are not going to go to that school because they'll be sick. So so this whole and then the other way around as well. If so if you focus on one problem and you don't focus on the whole totality of of what a place is going through in according to me, it wasn't sustainable. And in that happened, luckily, that my in-laws that are very generous people, very nice, wanted to support a cause. 
and said, oh, well, have you heard about Weltungerhilfe? And I was like, um, yes. And then I started researching Weltungerhilfe. I got really impressed with what, what they do. And he wanted to support a project. Uh, we went and met Mr. Mogger in office and uh, said we would like to support something. That's how we came, got in touch with, uh, with Philip. And I talked about this whole holistic approach and, and we should do this. And uh, until now, I was getting a bit of a, a negative, so to say, or, or a very, very uh, careful reaction to, hmm, I don't know, we've done this, I think, in past and it hasn't worked. Philip was the only one who said, yes, we've done this in past, but uh, I would love to learn from the mistakes because he loves the idea as well and he would like to support it. And that's that was the day I said, yes, we are going to do it. So I my happiness was in the thing, OK, I had a theory or it has, it has been a theory and I really like the theory and there's someone to put it into practice and i would love to see how it works out yeah and and that's where philip yeah. steps in yeah that's Philip. how yes. we met and it was really not i i wouldn't say a coincidence maybe it was meant to be <laughs> so <laughs> maybe I, yes so I'm see the, that's the, the indian head, way <laughs> exactly so i'm the head of program in in india since eight eight years and i've been in in south asia for forever i mean 20 years i started in sri lanka I, I, I went to Nepal, I became the country director of my organization in Nepal, I built up the program. I was quite very often in touch with, with, with Bangladesh, where I supported uh, the program development. And then I joined the Indian team here in, in, in Delhi, and they have a huge program um, focusing on, on food and nutrition and security. My background is actually I'm a lawyer, so I studied law, but then I discovered my love for, for agriculture, especially for sustainable agriculture. So I could, um, you know, I saw these beautiful farming systems in Nepal where, you know, all the, you know, elements of, of the farming systems are connected and these farmers don't really require any external inputs and, and are living in, in harmony with nature, actually. And it was an eye-opener also to, to have a more systemic approach, a more uh, a systems approach uh, towards development and where I realized that if we really want to save our planet, we need decentralized small systems uh, taking care of energy, of food, etc. And that's how I started, uh, you know, having a more integrated approach towards towards development. And when I joined India, there was a lot going on. And we really wanted to, to have a very integrated rural development um, a program, which we those days called the Fight Hunger First Initiative. Um, the initiative was very complex. We tried to target all the sustainable development goals. It was a little bit like, uh, I don't know if you heard about uh, Jeffrey Zucks, the Millennium uh, uh, project, the village project he had, quite complex. And somehow it was not really scalable. Um, so after a couple of pilots, uh, we boiled it down to uh, five major interventions. And that's how the, the Nutrition Smart Community came out. Um, which we are now implementing in India in, in, in um, 400 villages, and we scaled it to, to Nepal, to Bangladesh. And now recently, um, Saroj is pretty much aware of it also to, to, to Africa. So we are yes. now in Ethiopia, we are in, in, in Burundi, in Sierra Leone, in Malawi. Uh, so, so, so it's amazing. And uh, then I got in touch with, with, with Saroj, and she was talking about um, this is a holistic approach, and we had a couple of uh, email correspondence, and it, it clicked right away because she really um, had the same way of, 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 of thinking, um, ideas, and we came up, why don't we create, at least we start in India with two 
model villages. I don't like the word too much, but incubation hubs where villages basically showcase um, their integrated approach to, to the government, to other NGOs, to other stakeholders, and, uh, and become a little bit the voice for a specific region, but also uh, an innovation hub where we can showcase uh, different uh, new ideas and where basically the villagers are driving the whole the whole process and um, it turns to be turned to be really really powerful and um, and um, first of all yeah I mean a lot of people were a bit skeptical in the beginning and ah why these two villages and now you're pumping a lot of money in which we don't do um, so <laughs> it, it's really low it's very cost effective and very low on on inputs and resources basically it's only um, facilitation and capacity building we do but it's really amazing how these two villages really became a voice, let's let's call it like that, for, for, for the nutrition smart community and for their specific region. Yes, that's a little bit the background. Fantastic background that it is as well. Yeah, so Roger, at any point you want to jump in, just jump in and then I will tr try Definitely. to uh, yeah. Yeah, watch out for that. Um, but I what I also, and there's lots of different points that you make there, which I kind of uh, they, they 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 set alarms going in my head but positive alarms so when you talk about integrated resources and the different stakeholders it reminds me of this principle called IWRM which is integrated water resources management mm. um, you're probably more familiar with that than I am but where basically mm. there's a, a body of water somewhere and all of the different users are taking this water mm. but that but they're not necessarily working in collaboration with other water users and obviously what happens is the uh, the river or lake either gets polluted or it's used up and it disappears um, mm. So there are lots of these uh, actors that come in and try to manage that, to prolong it, to sustain it and so on. And what you're doing, it seems, with the village is not only doing this with water, but with an entire society in a microcosm that is the village that you work with. Is that a fair sort of uh, yeah, exactly. description? Yeah, that's, that's quite a good, good, uh, good, good summary. Um, I mean, our focus is is uh, food and nutrition. Uh, it's basically SDG2, zero hunger, which is not so bad because there is a focus. We don't get lost in, in too many sectors. Um, there is a little bit of danger. The good thing is that if you work on SDGs, you, you basically also address all the other uh, SDGs more or less directly or, or indirectly. And so we were thinking to what have been the most powerful or the most impactful intervention in the past and it took us some 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 time also looking into data looking into evaluations we had a, a consultant who 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 looked into what we what we have done so far and then we came up with basically five interventions one is nutrition education which is important um, you cannot only um, especially in india i mean india um, nutrition is a huge, huge problem. I mean, there are still 200 million people uh, who are basically suffering from hunger. Just imagine we have over 800 million worldwide and 200 of these people are living in India with almost half of the children uh, suffering from, from malnutrition. So it's a huge topic. So we had to, to go into, into education, into awareness, and uh, we, we developed a very handy tool also for the government to teach uh, communities or, I mean, educate, teach, consulate, but to, it's a participatory approach where, where uh, communities are sitting together and they're going through a cycle of different meetings where they address different um, 
issues important to, to, to nutrition, um, child care, um, hygiene, uh, water, nutrition garden, um, the importance of the first thousand days, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the second intervention is, of course, farming. That's, that's um, of course, um, um, crucial. It's, it's a core. Um, but also to look into how forest, wild foods, traditional food uh, plays a role and, and, and to work with, with pharma groups on, uh, in designing or redesigning uh, um, more or less um, um, integrated systems, which have been existed before, but due to the green revolution in India um, are not really present anymore. And I think a lot of, especially the young farmers, who went into more monoculture using uh, pesticides, hybrids, um, chemical fertilizers, have lost a little bit see, the old knowledge. Uh, the old farmers still know about it, but uh, yes, the young farmers also with migration um, have, have lost you know, the, these practices. Uh, the third is, is and that where uh, what you also mentioned is, is community planning, but we make it nutrition sensitive that's what we call it it's it's micro planning planning where we really sit together with the communities and we look into what do you need in, in being nutrition smart and being nutrition sensitive and it, it starts with water conversation uh, con it's uh, it continues with wash uh, water and sanitation infrastructure nutrition gardens where the government will also jump in and and fund uh, different initiatives so that has been quite powerful because the process starts with identifying what do we actually have most of the time you go into the village and they look at you and say, we have nothing, please, yeah, <laughs> support us. We are so poor. And then you look around and you see the forest, you see water bodies, you see a river, you see um, uh, quite an interesting environment. And uh, so you're asking. And once these people get into know or rediscover their own resources, um, they understand that a lot of, of, of things are actually possible without uh, external um, inputs or, you know, people... Um, from, from outside having to step in. And the, the fifth one is, of course, to strengthen local institutions, local government institutions, but also um, sanitation committees, water committees, pharma producer organizations, and, and to strengthen them that they are actually able then to, to also um, um, design the, these community plans, but also implement and monitoring them at the end. It sounds comprehensive, um, I yeah. think. Uh, <laughs> but what I do it like about it sounds comprehensive. Yeah, but, but it's not so. It I do like this whole concept very much because this is this is exactly confirming. So th there was there was lots of issues with lots of NGOs in Africa that left the 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 people or places project or let's call them villages dependable on NGOs because they went there, did everything for them, um, and when and. Either when they when they exit, either they don't exit because when they exit, people don't know what to do anymore. And and the governance, the government wasn't had they had taken away the capacity from the government into NGOs, including people that were working for the for the government. They were working for the NGOs because they pay better salary, and that way you make them extremely dependable on the NGO. In this strategy, I really see it is about making people capable of earning their own money, understanding their environment and adjusting themselves according to the environment and then making the best out of it, including making the government capable of supporting the village that I um, I think that's the best sustainable way, according to me, to 
and that's why that's how it, it sounds very intricated, but it is actually very very logical and and sustainable. Yes, we have these five five elements, and we have boiled it further down, and we have you know produced manuals and 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 guides and and facilitation guides to make it also easy not only for for the villages but also for for the extension service for for the government to replicate our approach. Um, same goes for 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 our sustainable integrated farming systems approach, which is based on agroecology, where we also have very clear facilitation manuals now in place, and we are slowly working with the government on on integrating it into their extension because they still have a very linear kind of old-fashioned uh, approach towards agriculture. But things are happening now, and for me, the beauty of these two villages, which uh, Saroj is, is is supporting, is that. People can really go. They can see. They see the complexity, but they also see that it's not rocket science. Uh, when we talk about it, it all sounds very overwhelming and, and theoretical. But once you're in the village and you see the, the meetings, you see the farmers. Everything makes sense, and you see also the linkages quite well. People are then not so afraid anymore, <laughs> and it's a little bit an eye opener. And we are learning as well, and I'm learning um, every day because new things are coming up. And to have this focus on these villages is quite, quite, quite nice because you go there, you follow up. We are reporting, or the village itself, youth groups are documenting the progress. Um, so you learn, and, and youth, for example, was a new element which we have a bit neglected in, in the past in the framework of our uh, larger program. And now through these model villages or incubation hubs, or however, we still don't really have a catchy name for it. We really see that, for example, youth should play a major role, and they are a driving force in, in supporting their own uh, communities. Yeah, definitely. I think in in many cases and in many countries, we I, I feel on the one hand we we have to empower our youth very much uh, and support them as much as possible. Uh, on the other hand, I feel a little bit guilty because in some cases we're making the mistakes and we're hoping they will solve some of the mistakes for us. Um, and we're saying, please learn this. You're going to have to do this in the future. There is no there's no water here or no food there and, and no Internet and so on. Um, and we are putting in some ways a lot of pressure on the youth. But um, as you say, th they are obviously the future and that they need to know how best to adapt to developing situations. What what I love is the um, the environment in which they are developing their knowledge. When you've got principles such as participation, integration, interaction, you know, these are mechanisms for working with people. For in some cases negotiating, but in other cases reaching compromises. And I think compromise and consideration are extremely important instigators of change of uh, of sustainability which modern society has perhaps forgotten about yes i mean um completely agree with you i mean one dimension um, of course in india it's and it's important um, you have over 700,000 or maybe a million villages um, in, in India. So, so 70% of the people in India are still living in rural area. Even though you have a huge urbanization going on, you have these mega cities. As a use, they are tending towards the big cities. Um, that's the trend which is globally um, present everywhere. 
but uh, we need to find solutions. And I think, um, I mean, the future in, in India um, lies in its villages. I mean, somehow the soul of India is rural. And um, I think we need to come come back again to, to this old Gandhi way of thinking as well in, 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 um, in, in building up um, rural societies which are resilient and also self-sustaining themselves somehow. And, um, and uh, that's something good and to, to, to really uh, show um, these youth um, that uh, staying in their own um, communities and not going to Dhaka or to, to Mumbai or to Delhi um, is, some, is an option. Yeah, and uh, that what we do in capacitating them, we do um, vocational trainings with them, um, we mobilize them in, in leading the whole process, and we connect them, like you said, and and that's very powerful. They are connected to Berlin. Yeah, they had, so so we did a live uh, online uh, field visit. Um, um, I was thinking about were, it just now. <laughs> where they were suddenly connected to a broader, you know. Um, network and and we connect them to companies as well. We connect them to experts. Um, visitors are coming now. Finally, they are also charging by the way for the visitors. So <laughs> so many people are are looking into these villages, are visiting these villages, and um, and the youth basically they organize everything, including accommodation, and uh, they're getting a little income out of it. Um, that's quite promising. That's what I like about this project. It's not the the four the four um, what do you call it framework the the four areas of of focus that you said. It is more than that because it is also income generation. It is also we had this meeting very very touching. We had uh, there were children from the village that were that were there to talk to us um, with my in laws in the in the Zoom call as well, and we said. We asked them, what's the biggest problem in the village? And they said education. And um, this project supported them also with that. Um, so it wasn't a part of the whole whole this this structured thing. But we that's the adaptability or agility of the project that we say, okay, if the, the biggest problem is education, that it has to be supported. Um, I was uh, surprised that it was one school, primary school until fifth grade, and there was one teacher who was running into every class teaching all the subjects. That's a problem that's difficult to solve. It's almost impossible. But um, Philip said, "Okay, we're going to put in some computers there, and <laughs> children can then self-learn and and have this access to this to the world out there, and give them the support um, to be able to be futuristic or, or more more prepared for the future with computers." I, that was really really impressing. Yeah, that's a nice example. I mean, first of all, uh, some most of the time people are not able to, to identify really the issues and also they're not able to express it. And and now with this kind of, you know, framework we have created, people are looking into what is really the issue. And yes, these children have expressed, you know, the problem of, of, of education. And then the thing is, okay, so um, what now? And then they're looking at you and said, yeah, but what now? You have to come up with something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then suddenly uh, people are having idea. And in one village, there was this uh, young guy who is well-educated and who loves teaching. He's not a teacher, but who, who does a lot of, you know, uh, tutoring. Um, uh, and he became a, a driving force in, in, in voluntary uh, getting into these classrooms um, and playing a leading role in further supporting the children. And then, yes, like you said, the computers came on board. We have uh, online classes. We could mobilize also people 
willing to do um, online courses for them. And it's slowly happening and it's really nice to see how they're just doing it without us. Yeah. Yeah, it's also great to see that they're this sort of business mindedness uh, which comes in, you know, it's not only saying, yeah, we're going to take money from everyone, no, but knowing who to take money from, uh, for example, I think that's a key element. On the one hand, you've got the charity, you've got the social work and the dedication and personal commitment. And on the other hand, you say, okay, I know these people can pay, we'll take something from them too. Exactly, exactly. And one powerful tool was also the manifesto they have created. So before entering deep into into community planning, they created a, a, a vision. You know, how how do we want our village to look like? And this manifesto is 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 now um, available in a written format. It's hanging in the community center. And it's also a powerful tool to tell them, look, we don't want your your houses or we don't want a new road. That's what we actually want. And if you want to support us, uh, please do that. And we will know also exactly um, how you, the support should look like. Yeah, um, And that, that's quite good. That sounds fantastic. And how do you go about choosing the villages? Because this is, as you said, there are perhaps a million villages in India. You've managed to choose two. I mean, that's a hell of a process, I guess. <laughs> so there are millions. But uh, yes, we have uh, basically 400 villages, which we are supporting through the Nutrition Smart Community. And then, of course, we asked, we are working with partners, uh, local partners who are very much rooted uh, in, in the regions where we are implementing the program. And uh, then we had a couple of criteria. One criteria, of course, was accessibility, yeah? uh, that uh, government officials, donors, um, stakeholders, uh, visitors can, can come and don't really have to, to struggle too much. Otherwise, um, they will not come. <laughs> That's how it is. Um, so so um, near road and etc. So these kind of uh, logistics uh, played a role. Then of course the willingness of the community and the willingness of community institution to 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 become uh, a role model or a demonstration hub or learning hub that was important. And um, the third criteria, of course, we looked into to villages where there is still a high prevalence of malnutrition. So we didn't want to shine and to have something already in place uh, so we really wanted to to go through the whole process again and to see um, based on a quite tough monitoring system which we still uh, i think we are yet there yet Farosh know the history <laughs> where we boiled it down to 10 indicators um, um, to show to show also um, the impact of, of what we do and, and to generate evidence yeah I think this project is a is a perfect example of um, of how how to implement all all the sustainable areas that you can think about, inclusive stakeholder holder engagement and including the governance and all of that, but also investor demands. <laughs> um, because of course, if someone is investing in a project, they want to see results, they want to see impact, and they want to be. If it is someone like uh, my father-in-law, they want to be. He's he's from the business world. He he needs indicators and KPIs. <laughs> um, and so it was it was a bit more like so show me show me. So what what are you going to? How can I measure the impact? It was a, a bit of a challenge uh, in the start, but then. Um, it, I think it was for good because then we came up with 
or your team came up with indicators that are measurable, um, which is extremely difficult when it's when it is not only about producing a product. It is about involving people, and yet it's it's not it's not so quantifiable, right? And um, we still managed to have indicators that are measurable, and so yeah, that was extremely. Uh, Uh, rewarding at the end of it to see, oh, wow, now we can also measure something and there's something for the investors as well in it and not only for the project. Positive in both ways. Mm, no, and that was also quite quite um, good for us to um, to have a private donor on board. And I mean, NGOs, you know, they used to have, they still have this a little bit silo kind of a, of a way of, of thinking and, um, and uh, reaching out to the private sector, sometimes a problem and... Uh, Uh, they, we we have problems to understand the private sector or specific donor requirements and uh, vice versa as well. Um, so I think uh, the nutrition smart community, and that's also which I really enjoy, is slowly opening up. It's including uh, diverse um, kind of, of people with different backgrounds. And, and everybody wants to help. I mean, everybody wants to do something good. But to provide a platform which is also not too complex, uh, where everybody can contribute with expertise, also with, of course, with money, uh, with knowledge. That's something we are still working on it. And we have now created uh, a global platform, a nutri the Nutrition Smart Community platform, where we would like to, to integrate not only knowledge management and communication, uh, documentation, and, and, uh, and also, of course, showcasing the impact through a dashboard, which we have now in Uh, uh, created, but also maybe also to 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 bring different people on board to contribute and to support one of these villages um, and uh, and be part of the whole community. So that's something we we have started now, and it's quite an amazing um, um, journey, I would say. Um, yeah, definitely. I think technology is is such a good uh, tool, a supporting tool, if you use it. If to eradicate trust issues, so people want to do good, but they're like, oh, so where's my money going? I can't see it. And numbers can be decorated, of course. Um, but if you if there is something to show a dashboard, which everyone is really it's it's common in, in the rest of the world. But in NGO, because it's difficult to calculate an impact, it's very difficult to create such a dashboard that also is will be resonating with a person who's uh, who, who does not live in that world that is developed uh, that is being helped um so i'm looking forward to that dashboard by the way philip <laughs> it's um, ready it's ready oh, so okay. we are already a step further so the dashboard has been tested uh, in in the two villages by the way um and um, we improved it um we have now these 10 10 indicators where everybody agreed upon um, and now we are rolling it out and uh, we are also developing an application, a ComCare application, where um, the field staff is um, not only able to collect data in a more, you know, um, user-friendly manner, I would say, but also where we can feed information, we can feed um, a material into, into the app, which will help them to do a community mobilization, to do trainings, capacity building, mentoring, uh, um, um, where they have materials, small movies ready. So that's the next step, which uh, we are with Dimagi, uh, um, a company um, yeah, specialized in, in developing these kind of apps. So that's also something nice. Yeah. 
That's fantastic. Actually, that's a, that's a great place to take a, a break for part one. Um, and when we come back, then maybe we'll talk a bit more about the uh, the dashboard concept as well um, that you've got so that people can great, have a better understanding of it. Thank you very much for the first part. And uh, yeah, to speak to you in a bit. Thank you. Two and a mic.